with me to the epistle of James. Chapter five. So the epistle according to James, chapter 5. If you get to Hebrews, just turn right and keep going until James pops up. And James, again, is one of these general epistles and a power-packed one at that. And tonight, today, uh, tonight, goodness, if you knew the kind of night I had, then uh, you might understand why I feel like that. But no, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the last chapter of James. This is the fifth time we've preached from the, this epistle, and, uh, and this will be the last one. Next week, we hit Hebrews, all right? So if you want to kind of get a sneak peek of that, just go ahead and read through Hebrews this week in your devotional reading. And... Uh, and that's where we're going to be through the rest of our uh, liturgical calendar year, all right, until Advent. So James, then Hebrews, which is actually the, the, rearranged, isn't it, uh, in order, but that's all right. The Lord wanted us to hear um, this, and so the church has given us these readings. Uh, hear this reading now from the epistle of James, and I'm going to uh, just read from the ESV version here. And uh, we're starting with verse 13. Notice these words. This is the final um, final words he's going to give in his letter. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, or three, and, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, now in this moment... May the uh, meditation of my mouth and my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, well, James, we've said a lot about James. If introductory stuff and, and more nuanced teaching pieces of James, just go back and listen to the sermons that we've offered because it's there. And, uh, and there's much more to say, but James here at the end is drawing it down. He's distilling it down to its bare bones. Now, he's been doing that, you might say. I mean, James doesn't quibble with words. He did, he's not very wordy, as other writers are. Uh, he doesn't have any fluff in, the, in this epistle. He's, uh, he's, he's throwing these punches out, gospel punches, as to think of them. Uh, so that, here's why, so that the gospel doesn't just remain in our head. I mean, this is really, as I've read this book over and over again, this, this is, I'm, I'm sure of this. He doesn't want the gospel to just remain in our head. Oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died 
for my sins and rose again and is in heaven and one day I'm going to go to heaven. This is, this is sort of bare bones belief. No, he says, listen, that's right. Yes, you have the right doctrine. But that doctrine must be lived out. It's one thing to be orthodox, right? Which is a term that we use, ortho, meaning right or to correct, right? Like an orthodontist corrected my teeth. Uh, and orthopedics would correct bones, right? Or, or, or now orthodoxy is right teaching, right belief. And hey, that's important, super important. In fact, Paul in his epistles almost always has this sort of uh, mode of operation that he follows, he'll first introduce right doctrine. And then the latter part of his letter will be about doing that doctrine in your actual practical life, your real life. And so it's not enough just to be orthodox in the mind. One has to also be living it out, which we call, another kind of word matching orthodoxy, is orthopraxy, right? like praxis. It's got to be practice. In other words, the faith is meant to be practiced, to be hidden. It's meant to be practiced, which means then, and again, you know, we can hear James saying this, when we're tested, not if, when we're tested, when our faith is tested. This is in chapter 1, remember. When our faith is tested, not if. If you feel like your faith is, hasn't ever been tested, then you might want to come down today and just speak with me briefly and let's get the faith going in your life. Because if there is faith in Jesus Christ, you will go through testing. The pressure will be put on, you'll be put in the fire, and what is dross, what is husk, is going to be burned up. There is a winnowing process. You remember how... They talk about threshing floors in, in the Old Testament a lot. And they're kind of a very important place, actually. I won't go into all the reasons why, but remember Boaz and, and Ruth. Uh, remember, remember that the temple, uh, David bought a piece of, of land that was a threshing floor. And that was where the temple was to be built. Well, what you did, you took these winnowing forks and scooped up the grain, and then threw it in the air, and most of them were on a mountain because the wind's blowing on mountains, right? You, you notice this? How does that? Not in the valley, but in the mountain. Uh, and so you throw it up in the air, and the husk blows away. You know what the husk is? It's just the, the discarded material, not the, not the grain itself that we're going to eat, but it's the husk on the outside, like the husk of corn or of grains. And so you throw it up in the air, and that floats away, and what is of substance remains. You see, our faith too will go through a winnowing process because even faith in Jesus Christ, you say, well, I've come to faith in Jesus. I have converted. I am on the way. Wonderful. Praise God. And I hope all of you are hearing my voice online, but also in this room. Well, here's the thing. Our faith is so intertangled though with sin and selfish ambition and our own way. So we've got our way at war with God's way as all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has been given to us and is pulling us and teaching his way, our way's all tangled up. You felt this? Paul sort of describes it in Romans 7. I want to do this, but I don't. I don't want to do this, but I do. 
Now, thanks be to God, he ends that chapter by pointing to the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit and freedom in the Spirit and completion in the Spirit. So in other words, we're not left, we're not supposed to remain in this series where we're holding on to the husk of our life. No, let it go. Isn't that what the gospel pointed us to? The eye, the hand, the foot. Tear it off. Cut it out. You don't want to end up in hell. So like, kind of the first big thing, and look, you know, that that message alone isn't preached a whole lot. That people can actually end up in hell. Jesus here says it in this very brief gospel reading that we had. Three different times. And if you notice, in the three different times, he doesn't just say, yeah, and you might go to hell. He says, no, you might go to hell if you don't do this, where there's unquenchable fire. Then he says it again, you might go to hell if you don't do this. It's better to not have an eyeball than to end up in hell. And then he says it a third time, don't end up in hell where the worm doesn't die, which is to say the soul doesn't die. It's eternal. So in other words, what Jesus is teaching, very briefly, is, number one, there is a hell for those who reject the way of Jesus Christ, and that it's eternal. It's not just, oh yeah, you'll go there and be annihilated. No. No, the worm doesn't die. It's unquenchable. Now, with that kind of backdrop in mind, because James knows that teaching, here's the question I think James 5 here poses to us is this. Are you on the way or are you wandering? So are you on the way of Jesus Christ, you yourself, and then, or are you wandering away from the way of Jesus? Which is essentially the way he ends this this thing. Now he says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you happy? Then let him sing. Suffering. I want to say to James when he asks, is anyone among you suffering? I want to say to him, have you seen the world recently, buddy? The past 18 months has been highlighted with suffering, confusion. Fear, doubt, darkness. But it's not unlike James's time, where to be a Christian might mean your job. How many of us would honestly even consider that? How many of us would water it down so much that you really couldn't tell if we were Christian? And maybe there's some of that that happens now in the workplace. Maybe some of that happens in the home. Are we on the way? Early on, Christianity was just simply called the way. Because it's the way of Jesus Christ. You say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be in Christ Jesus and following Christ Jesus. Which is sort of the point of James, isn't it? Here's some ways to follow Jesus even when you've been persecuted. Why has James mentioned murder? Because during his time, Christians were being murdered. Why does he mention orphans and widows? Because parents were being killed. Husbands were being killed. 
all of a sudden now you have an influx of orphans and widows. James's time was not unlike our own. We will suffer in this life. Jesus says this in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Why do we need the peace of Christ? Because there is a war going on over your soul. Over our children's soul. There is one that would sift them. Cut them down. And take them into darkness. As we just sang a moment ago, we need to wake up. If you're not already awake, wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Call on Christ. You say, all James has to offer with this big thing of suffering is prayer. <laughs> That's it. Anybody suffering? Just pray. Is that a dismissal? I don't think so. Sometimes I think I have misunderstood suffering. The kind of suffering James is talking about, the only thing you can do is pray. Have you ever been there? I mean, desperate. Nobody knows what's going on. No one understands. There is no other, there are no other options. There is no help coming. It's God or nothing. God is teaching us in those moments. He's, as James says, giving us an opportunity to trust him. In other words, it's when death comes to our door. It's when our hearts are troubled. It's when we watch other people make decisions that break our heart. These are the moments where we are invited to trust God and pray. Jesus does this on the cross. Jesus teaches us what to do when we're suffering. Now, when I suffer, I get mad about things. You know, it's not right. And I want to tell you why it's not right. Now, Jesus could have given some treatise while he was suffering about why the world is not right. What the Roman government did wrong to get to where they were and where the Jews went wrong and went off the rails and wandered from the faith. He could have taught... It all comes down to a three-letter word, though. Sin. Which has I at the center. Self-interest. Self-concern. You know, this uh, whole pandemic and all this has has only exacerbated what was there already under the surface. 
And that's why all of a sudden we, we, some of us are looking around saying, man, why, why did the nasty come out? Why did the nasty come out in me? Why did the nasty come out in so-and-so? I think because it was there all along. And when we're squeezed, what's in us comes out. It boils to the top when we're put in the fire. And we shouldn't try to swallow it back down, push it back down, hide it, but instead skim it off the top and, as Jesus said, throw it away. What sins have bubbled to the top in your life that the Lord wants to just skim off and say, let's be done with that, okay? Let's be done with that spirit of bitterness. Let's be done with that unforgiveness. Let's be done with that hard heart. Let's be finished with that. And instead, go and love one another. Love me and love one another. No, what came out of Jesus on the cross was pure love. Was perfect love. In fact, I'm very troubled by the words that he says from the cross just because I don't know that they would be my words. And that is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How selfish I've been at times in my life where I think they're out to get me. They formulated a plan to drive bad to make me angry. They level it up this week on me, by the way. They really did. That's what I'm just calling it now to be nice is, is leveling up, like, next level. Somebody parked at, like, here's the parking spaces. They parked out here. I have a picture. I'll show you later. But the Lord is changing my heart on this matter. I didn't get angry about it. I didn't think of them as dumb and dismiss them. Jessica was there. (laughs) We all have places in our life that he wants to put his love in our homes. Starts in us, but then we share it in our homes. And then we share it with our neighbors. Then we share it with our coworkers. This is the way of Jesus. One last note. God never tempts us. He tests us. He tests our faith. Your, your faith will be tested because he loves you. Just like I discipline my kids because I love them, so he will to us. But he never tempts us with sin. God doesn't tempt anyone, James says, with sin. You're drawn away by your own desires. So God help us burn away evil desires of the flesh and evil desires of the soul. You know, sins of the flesh are in excess. It's something good, but in excess. Whereas sins of the soul are deep, dark, motivated by pride. We need help with both. Oh God, help us. One's heart, one's easy to, to hide, the other's not. Well, James knows also every bit of life isn't suffering. I mean, even, even when, when I go to funerals, you know, families, I always notice, laugh together. Because you have to. What else do you have? 
There is a celebration of that person's life. And there's stories that are to be told that mean something. It's good to see people laugh, even at a funeral, because we're laughing in the face of death itself, who's been overcome by Jesus Christ. It's not a pipe dream. It's something that, that I bring to every situation, because I don't know what else to bring. It's Christ, and that he's killed death by death. He didn't leave us with a philosophical treatise to read as our eyes are filling up with tears. No, he came himself and stretched out his body and gave it to us. And then he asked us to do the same. So when we're happy, James says, then sing. (laughs) You know, I love to hear, um, well, whatever's going on in my life, I like to hear Blakely, but... Particularly, I love to hear her singing. Now, none of the other boys that I can remember, maybe you could correct me later, but just like sang through the house, you know. But she's just whistling. She's actually a really good whistler. Um, She has been since like three years old. And she's just whistling, singing these little songs. And I'm trying to work or do whatever I'm doing. and and, And for a minute, it gets annoying until I realize it's like she's really happy. Like she has no worries in the world. He loves her, her daddy loves her, and her daddy loves her, you know? Oh, and her mother and her brothers and everybody else, but she's loved. She, she, she really doesn't worry about anything. She really doesn't. Even when we're worried about stuff, rushing around trying to get stuff done, which is nuts around our place, come join us sometime and help us if you want. She's just over there whistling. She's happy. And, you know... I think James, part of what he's saying here is like, when people are happy, let them sing, let them whistle. Like, even let that be contagious to you. Even on my drive in this morning, there was a a lady that just had a big smile on her face in her car. I mean, I I don't know what what was going on, but she was happy. I thought, she's cheerful. Because that's all that means. He doesn't mean something more than just somebody that looks happy, let them sing. And then she pulled right into a church, and I was like, well, there you go, she's happy. Wish I was always that happy coming to church, you know. When we're happy, we need to sing, particularly psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God, to be thankful, to be content about our life, to just say, you know what? I'm glad we're not in a disaster right now. I'm glad I'm not in crisis right now. I have a moment of cheerfulness. So I'm going to sing. You know, there's this song, uh, His Eyes on the Sparrow. You you remember this? Um, I read a little bit about how that song, I'm not as good as Jack with this kind of thing, but... Essentially, it was a crippled man and a woman that had a terminal illness. And they were always exuding joy, even though they had these just awful ailments in their life. He hobbled around just to do anything. And, and so this lady asked him, said, how do y'all, like, what's the secret of your happiness? And like, how are you so, like, I have health and I'm not happy. You don't have health. And yet... All that ever comes out is help for others and happiness. And she said, well, his eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. And from that, she then wrote a poem that then became a song. And some of it says this, I sing because I'm happy, right? I sing because I'm free. Doesn't that sound like Blakely, a child? Don't you hear Jesus again saying, guys, childlike faith, hello, 
Stop being so adult-like. Stop acting like you can do things. Stop acting like you can handle it. You cannot. You should start your day by saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm desperate for your help. I'm not self-sufficient today. And I'm going to need the help of my brothers and sisters. I'm going to submit myself to them. For his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. If he knows every sparrow that falls today, how much more, Jesus says, does the Father know your life, know your needs, know your questions, know your doubts, know your anger, your bitterness, your envy? He knows it all. He sees it. And what he prays for, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you get them on the path, my way? Help Holy Spirit. James shifts gears again. Is anybody sick? Again, this is something that's just going to be a part of our life. I don't mean just the pandemic. I mean, do you have an ailment? Do you have something, some health concern? (laughs) Um, And probably all of us do. And probably the older we get, probably the more health concerns we have. Uh, You know, I'm in in a band meeting, which is banded discipleship, with my dad and my brother. And I don't think you'd mind me saying this, you know, we've obviously watched our dad grow through his 30s as we were children and then into the 40s and 50s and now into his 60s. And, you know, there's more talk of health concerns. It's just what you do, you know. And then if you get around a table ever where old men are drinking coffee, that's what they're talking about. I can guarantee it. That and maybe the weather and politics, but the health stuff's going to come up. It just is. The fact of the matter is, we're all dying, and we all will die. This is just a part of life, and it's not a fun part, and it's a part that never was meant to be. Because of sin, this came about, death. It was what what God had told him, right? You eat of this, you disobey me, you will die. We all are under that curse. But because of the new Adam, Jesus Christ... We now have eternal life that will last beyond death. And that's why I can confidently go and did to both of my grandfather's caskets where their body was. And Nana, Jessica's grandmother. And I said the same thing. I'll see you soon. Because that body, not another, will rise from the dead. Just as Jesus' body, that body he had with his disciples rose from the dead. Not another one. That one. And so we put them in the ground, as it were, symbolically, so that they spring to new life when he calls their name, when he breaks open the eastern sky. And that eastern sky is just metaphorical for the sunrise. In other words, we can kind of see some of the rays of light now. But on that day, the sun will be in full swing and there will never be another night. Darkness will be no more. What a glorious day. There will be no more sea. In other words, no more chaos. No more turmoil. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He says, if you're sick, then call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. 
in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of will save the one who is sick. Notice his language. He's being nuanced. Notice that it doesn't say, when you do this, it's going to heal him every time. What does it say? Save the one who is sick. No. I don't want to get too nuanced and lost in the, the grammar here, but I think he means something more than just physical healing. Because here's the thing. If we could just do physical healing by anointing somebody with oil, then they're going to live past Methuselah. Even Lazarus, who was risen from the dead, died again. In fact, I was actually reading uh, uh, one of the saints in Russia who had witnessed people rising from the dead, and he was writing in his journey, he says, yes, some of those who had risen from the dead and have now passed on, because that's what happens. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we're not going to have a broken down body. Our bodies are fragile. But it does mean that we pray in faith that God will heal. <laughs> Healing and resurrection. Because notice he says, and the Lord will raise them up. What does that mean? Maybe it means from the hospital bed. But maybe it means he'll raise them up at the resurrection of the dead. Either way, for us Christians who have eternal life, we're going to be healed. Is everybody tracking that? We're going to be healed. In this life or the next, God's healing will come. His raising us up will come. And so we should pray, James says, as a righteous person with right motives. Remember what he said last week was, you don't, ask, or you don't have because you don't ask. And then even when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. <laughs> how impure, how mixed, how contaminated is our praying even that he has to purify our prayers. Which is why we should practice. The only, you say, I don't really know how to pray, Pastor. Well, here's how you pray. You just talk to God. You already know how to talk to other people because you're talking to me right now. So talk to God like that. And just keep practicing it. There's really no right or wrong way to pray. It's you, the real you, talking to God. Remember the publican in the center? The publican prays this beautiful prayer. Um, or the Pharisee and, and, the, uh, and the publican, forgive me. Uh, the Pharisee prays this beautiful prayer, you know, probably a liturgical prayer that he had learned. And it's all great and grand, has wonderful theology. And, the, and he's got his hands in the air looking up to heaven. The publican, it says, beat his chest. And just simply says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, who do you think went home justified? The one who walked out of there feeling better about himself? Or the one who left feeling better about Christ? Jesus came for the sick, not for the well. Are there any sick among you? Let them come to the elders of the church, to the leadership of the church, and be anointed for healing, not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. This is why James says, therefore, where's it at? Therefore, confess your sins one to another, verse 16. His assumption is that when you come forward for physical healing, hey, my knee is messed up, I would like healing. 
that you also confess your sins. Because that's the most important thing. In fact, I think Mark 2 shows us how to do that. Remember the guy that came through the ceiling? Remember this, the paralytic, you know? Jesus first says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And then get up and go home. The forgiveness of sins is the fundamental thing that we need in our life. The conversion of our heart to God is fundamental. The healing, physically, is wonderful and sometimes miraculous and indescribable. And we're so, I mean, we, listen, at, the, at our church over the past 14 years, we've had literally multiple people healed and people that weren't. The point is, we pray to God, your will be done. We don't tell God what to do. So when we're praying up here, this is just kind of a practical point, we, we don't tell God what to do, we're asking. Just as James says, ask. And so, then lastly, James just says, look, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death, you could insert hell, and will cover a multitude of sins. So James now shifts gears again, and he says, all right, are you wandering? That term wandering, by the way, is is where we get our term for planet, because they wander around the sun. And uh, the idea is, have you gotten off the path? We're We're not to be circling around the sun, in the sun, and he and us. Everybody with me? Not around, in. That's the language of the Bible. Jesus says, you must be in me and I in you. How many of us are around the things of God? Church, missions, this, that. But not in Christ. In his way. The way of Jesus Christ. In other words, I think this is what I wrote down this, you know, this morning. Are we convertible? <laughs> Which I never used that word in this context, but I looked it up. And, you know, like a convertible, right? You know, well, Andrew has a convertible. So that means it, it can be one way, and then it converts to the top down, right? It's convertible. Are you convertible in your life, or are you already saving yourself? You see? Are we willing to change course are we willing to confess our sins? I don't mean just once. I mean the next time you sin, are you willing to confess, I did that, that's me, and I'm sorry. Because the scriptures say that not just that we confess it to God, but rather that we confess it one to another. And maybe you say, well, I'm not... Roman Catholic. I don't need to do that. Well, I'd say, first of all, the Roman Catholics are not the only one who do confession. The Orthodox do, and the Lutherans and several other groups do. All of them offer it. Some demand it. And I think it is demanded by James here, isn't it? I mean, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you might be healed. How's the best way to do that? Well, 
knowing a little bit about church history, used to in the church, when you sin in the community, you would come before the church and tell them, all of them, <laughs> um, you know, as churches got bigger and life got more different, however, the church said, you know what, you really should, should go to the priest. But as that even over time got different, now, and I think this is probably the most biblical way, is that all of us are priests of God. Notice, he doesn't say, confess your sins to a priest, which is an elder or a pastor. No, and just confess your sins to one another and pray. The one another is all of us. It's one another. <laughs> so how does this work itself out? Well, one way is through, and you've heard us use this language, banded discipleship. Right? You say, well, I'm a disciple. Then I would ask, okay, if you're a disciple, and I'm asking myself this, then who are you discipling? Because disciples disciple. Disciples follow, and they help other people follow. So who in your life can you say, right now, I'm discipling them? Now that immediately, we kind of think, oh, who am I teaching? Oh, I don't, I don't know enough to teach anybody. I'm like, mm -mm, no. No, I just count on you, buddy, to, <laughs> to preach, and then Pastor Bruce to preach, or Gerald, or one of our small group leaders. No. No. Discipleship looks like more than teaching, setting up a room and, and giving a lecture. If that were discipleship, Jesus would be a complete failure, right? He rarely just sort of lectured. He doesn't do that. And so as he is going, he sees a Samaritan woman, uses that as an opportunity to say, you know what? Let's speak some light into her life. You see? As we are going, and that's the nature of the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples. It's not gather in a room and have someone teach. That's not, that's not discipleship. It's walking with one another. It's being mixed up in each other's lives and being able to be honest with one another to say, brother, I think you're wandering from the truth. Sister, I think you're wandering from the truth. That's why I ask you, are you convertible? Or, have, or do you just have it taken care of? It's not just you and God. It's meant to be Christ and his church. They go together, not separate. And so, band of discipleship looks like gathering with two, three other people. Three is best total, three or four. And building trust and going hard after sin in our life. To say, Lord, I want to be more like you. I don't want to hide this stuff. I need to get it out. Because when you bring it into the light, it begins to die. James would say it like this, don't let sin grow. Don't let it grow. And the way you don't let it grow is to get it out. But that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to confess that we're wrong. It's hard to particularly confess our sin, our hidden sin, one to another. But I, from experience, I've been in some sort of banded discipleship since, uh, well, for 14 years, really 15 or 16. In, in seminary, I had a problem, something I couldn't get over myself. I went to one of my 
friends and I said, man, I need to confess some things to you because I'm getting scared that I, I, I can't handle this. And the reason is we can't handle sin. It's not containable. It's not containable. It'll get the best of us every time. We need help. And God has given us one another for help. Do you see? Like we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is a super simple way to be a disciple and to make disciples. Those people in my life that I meet with in my band, they disciple me. And I get to participate in their discipleship. All that's saying is I'm helping them on the way by hearing their confession and then saying to them, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. He gives us this ministry, doesn't he? John 20, remember this? After the resurrection, Jesus is with his disciples and he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, whoever you forgive is forgiven. Whoever you don't, isn't. That's a ministry given to all those who have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you've been converted to Christ, then you should be making disciples in this way in your life, in some form. Now, there's all kind of different forms. I don't care if you call it band discipleship or who, whatever, small group. Typically, though, a small group's too big to confess sin. And being co-ed, it's not appropriate. Instead, band together, that's the whole point of this, and covenant with one another, all the way down to our youth. Like, we're wanting to teach our youth this sort of thing. And this is healthy for people. And it's where love can be shown. Great love. To look another person in the eyes and say, this is who I am. And they say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Like, walk in that now. And I love you. Like, that's, that is healing. We have ways to do that. We actually have some resources here at the church, uh, Discipleship Bands, Practical God. And then Jessica and I went to something just this week. They have uh, a new one of these books and a new one of these pamphlets. But super simple stuff. What's the state of your soul? That's a question. What's the state of your soul? What known sins have you committed? How's your scripture reading? How's your prayer life? How are you treating your wife, your spouse, your kids, and then wrap it up. By the time all three or, three or four of you get done with that, you spend about 45 minutes, you pray for one another, and, and move on. It's not a Bible study. This is getting down into the soul. It's next level. <laughs> it's next level discipleship. And it's something that I have needed in my life, and it's something that kept the longest going revival in play, which was the Great Awakening, was banded discipleship. And I think largely the church has lost that. All right. So, are you converted to the way of Christ? Does your life bear it out? Can other people see it? Who right now are you bearing in your heart, carrying? Who is it that you are converting to Jesus? Helping not to wander away. Because let me tell you, it's, it's been some dark times. These are dark days. It's easy to wander away, get lost. Remember the 99 and the 1? Jesus cares about the 1. It's easy to get off over to the side. Easy to end up by yourself, feeling alone. Please don't. Like, let's band together. Just, if everybody in this room were able to band together with somebody that was outside of this room, I mean, then we'd be making this. I don't care where they go to church. 
Let's just band together. Some of you are already in this sort of thing. Others of you have people in your life that would do this with you. Just give them the questions. I need you to ask me this. Because I actually want to follow Jesus and overcome this sin in my life. I need you to ask me these questions. Because this is where I'm struggling with right now. You know what will happen? Healing. We've witnessed it. I've witnessed it in my own life. On stuff that didn't look like it was going to be healable. (laughs) It was. He did it. He did it. Are we willing to deal with sin in our life and in the lives of others? I mean, do you care about other people enough to say, you know, hey, I've noticed this. What's going on? Are you okay? Are things all right? Now, look, please get permission first. (laughs) Like, that's not something you just come up and ask anybody shooting at the hip. Right? That doesn't help anybody. Everybody's going to clam up and close up and, you know, show's over. Uh, Let's be real about how we want to be addressed. If you are wandering or in sin, what's the best way to approach you about that? Again, are we convertible? I think we're already. perfecting my heart, his work in me, those close to me know this and can see this and have turned me around from the edge multiple times, too many to, too many to mention. I've wanted to quit more in the eight, last 18 months than I ever have in my life. I'm not a quitter. And yet, it's been there. I've been right on the edge. It's like, I, I just don't think any of this is worth it anymore. And you know what? Darkness crept in. And even this past week, my band told me and corrected me and said, you let, are letting your inner critic be louder than God's voice in your life. Now, so I'm mumbling here real quick. <laughs> A bit of confession before you to show you that this can be done. And if I'm convertible, if I'm willing to convert and turn from my sin, repentance, confess it. I told him, this is the way I feel. This is where I'm at. I can't see anything anymore. It's like, all right, well, that's a good thing. Maybe it's not about you seeing stuff, but about the way of Christ and him giving you light for each day. And that we desperately seek him in the mornings just to be able to make it through the day. Like that kind of desperate is the people who pray. And maybe that's why the American church hasn't been praying. And maybe that's why Christ is trying to wake us up to be people of prayer. Is we don't think we need God. That's the greatest idolatry there is. We need him more than we can imagine. And we need each other to help remind us. Listen, buddy, you think you got it all figured out? You don't. You need this word in your life. And I needed that word in my life. Without my band, I, I'm just telling you, I don't know where I would be without my wife, who also you know, knows me well and we confide in one another in this same way. You know, these people, here's the thing. When everything else fails in your life, these people will still be there. I need that. When everybody else abandons you because they see something nasty in you or just don't like you or whatever it is, which can happen. <laughs> Guess what? 
they're still there with the message of the good news, and that is, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And I still love you, even though you did that. I still love you, and I'm still here. I'm never going to leave you. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the heart of Christ? That's what we're to be as disciples, and we're to make disciples. Every disciple, disciples. So let's be about that. Let's take this word from James be willing to deal with our own sin with others and call other people on the way of Jesus Christ. Go all in with Jesus. Because disciples, they make disciples. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.